neither for the body what you shall put on. This verse talks about priorities. It talks about in God's economy, what is it that is the top of the list and what are the things that are at the bottom of the list? Notice who he's talking to, verse number 22, and he said unto his disciples, now there were more people there, but he was specifically talking to learners. That's what the word disciple means, a learner. Those who are serious about learning. If you're serious about learning, about understanding the ways of God, then here's what you need to do. You need to understand and this fact that God has different priorities than we do in this world. Now, in order to understand this passage, you actually got to go back a few verses because this actually is an answer to a man back in verse 13. He interrupted our Lord to say, hey, Jesus, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, uh, that's what they called him there in those days, teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to give me my inheritance, my share. And obviously, nothing wrong with getting an inheritance or even our share of inheritance. There was something about this guy that Jesus knew, though, he had an issue. His uh, he wasn't just caring about that which was right, but uh, he, uh, he was just a money-hungry guy. Jesus then told this wonderful parable, well-known parable about the rich man who made so much and then said, what am I going to do with all my stockpile? I have so much toilet paper, what am I going to do with it? And so he built bigger barns to put all of his great goods in. Jesus said, friend, you got a problem. You are obsessed with the physical world, and you don't have any clue about the spiritual world. Look what he says in verse 21. You're laying up treasure. That's your priority. It's not God's priority. It's not God's precedence. God wants us to be rich towards God. And so I ask each of us the question this morning. Are we rich towards God? So, ah, boy, I don't, you know, I don't really know much about the old good book. I've heard people tell me that, you know, that's a good book, but I don't know much about the Lord. Are we rich towards God? It's not like just some people have it and other people don't. We can be rich towards God if we want to, or we can have a materialistic focus. Are you, Are you laying up treasure on earth or, or treasure in heaven? That will be welcoming. Many of God's most choice Christians throughout history were very wealthy people. Great. It's awesome. And even today in this world we live in, doing a, some wonderful Christians who are very wealthy, doing a great work for God. But the issue is, where is your treasure? And what are you doing with that treasure? Because that really affects our fear factor. It puts us where we need to be. He said basically like this, if you live all out for God, if you live for Jesus, then your fear is just going to melt away. But if you're all focused on stuff and getting more and getting more and getting more, how much more do you need? Well, I just need more. How much more? I don't know, just more. And to many, it's a game. It's just, I need more. Then he said, uh, these people were saying, well, Okay, that's all fine and good. You know, you, we can, you know, serve God. And I mean, I think I'm all for going to church once in a while. And, you know, God has a place in my life. But 
but, uh, but I mean, someone's got to take care of my family. You know, I, they got to eat. And, and uh, God answers the question. Here, Jesus answers the question. No, uh, God will take care of you, and God will take care of your children. He'll watch over your wife. He'll make sure that everything gets taken care of. He said, you put me first, and I'll promise you I'll take care of your family. The wonderful apostle Peter gave a great word to the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Listen to this. Read this verse together. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, the wonderful apostle who struggled so much with his faith and yet came through like a great shining example, he was talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he realized that they were already suffering some very serious consequences. And he also knew that more were on the way. And so he gives them this command, this advice. And then he supports it with a very wonderful argument. He said, I want you to cast all your care. That actually means throw it, place it. The word care there is really the word for distractions. Anything that distracts your mind and your spirit. And boy, wouldn't that be a uh, an accurate description of the day we live in. There's just so many distractions right now. It's hard to just go about with your life and go on and be the kind of person you want to be. He said, throw those distractions on the Lord. You know that word uh, cast is only used one other time in Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 19, and that particular word is uh, translated as uh, they placed or they put the uh, their cloaks, their coats, their garments on the back of this donkey so that Jesus could walk into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. And so they took their uh, coats and they cast it or they placed it on a donkey. So let's put that thought in our mind. Put all of your care like you would just take off your coat and place it on a donkey. I want you to put it on the back of this donkey. Put it on, the, put it on another's back. Now, if that was the case, you would let go. I mean, just like, I'm done. I mean, I don't think anybody took their coat and put it on there and said, okay, I'm going to hold it as the little donkey, you know, was going along. No, you just absolutely put it on there and then you just left it there. You knew that there was no, I had no business uh, holding on to that. And folks, we have no business holding on to our cares. And notice also what he says in that verse. It says, cast all your care meaning there's more than one kind of care. Personal care, our family cares, our cares for today, our cares for tomorrow and the future, our cares for others, our care for the things of God even. He said, take your care and I want you to give them to God and let God take those away and live joyfully. You know, if we want to live released from worry and fear, then we need to focus on the there and the then, not the here and the now. And that's the whole point in this verse. He said, you need to get a different focus, get a spiritual focus instead of such a a physical focus. Notice what he said in this verse, take no thought for your life. Now, what do you mean by the word life? He clarifies it. It's your physical life. In fact, he gets just right down where we all live. You know, that's the wonderful thing about our Savior. It's not some pie-in-the-sky theology. No, it's down where we live. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat next. And don't worry about what you're going to wear. Now, for us, in the world that we live in, uh, uh, typically, we don't worry about that. Of late, 
many people are kind of concerned about that. And uh, it's, uh, I will say, folks, let me just, uh, a practical note, uh, I, I, there's no problem with the food supply. We're going to, it's, it's out there. I may have to, you know, not be able to have a, a Starbucks for a week or two, but, uh, but the fact is, uh, back then, it was a different story. I mean, it was. A lot of times they were in survival mode. And they didn't have, you know, a, a drive through. <laughs> you know, America's suffering. We can't go into McDonald's. We have to drive through now. I mean, that's a suffering. We're suffering. It's terrible. But they didn't have fast foods. They didn't have things like that. You couldn't, I mean, if you even wanted bread, you just didn't go to the store and get bread. You had to get the wheat, and then you had to shuck that, and then you had to get all that grain. You had to grind it. Then you had to put it together, you had to put the yeast in, you had to let it rise, you had to bake it. Finally, you could eat it. I mean, it took a long time. It wasn't just like a, a few minutes. You, it, we're talking serious amount of time and effort. You didn't just go to your refrigerator, they didn't have those kind of things. And so food was a big issue to them. Many of them live very subsistence type living. And then uh, clothing, uh, especially, you know, clothing back then I don't think was as big a deal for how important we are, you know, they just glad to have something on their back, especially against the hot Middle Eastern sun. But if you wanted some wool, you had to shear that, uh, that uh, sheep there. You had to take that wool. You had to do all the different processing to it, take the little threads, put it on a loom. Then you could, you know, weave it together. I mean, folks, food and clothing back then was a huge difference than today. Nobody really had an access like that. Now, God said, don't worry about your food. That was back then when it was something really, frankly, we would worry about. And yet today, he says the same thing. Don't worry about food and clothing. Life is more than that. Look at verse 23. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than for raiment. Basically saying this, you exist for a higher reason than for food and fashion. Now, some people uh, eat to live. Others, like me, live to eat. <laughs> Someone called me a foodie. said, you're a foodie. I didn't know whether to be happy with that or not. But the fact is, I do. I love a good, uh, good food. I do. I love it. And, um, and I, my favorite verse is, when the Apostle Paul reminded us to uh, Timothy, uh, Pastor Timothy, he said, brother, he said, I want you to richly enjoy all things. Amen. That's my theme verse right there. I'm going to richly enjoy. I had an In-N-Out burger this week. Praise God. Those grilled onions. Oh, my goodness. Folks, I love that. That's wonderful. But folks, uh, as much as I love food, I will tell you straight up, my love for the giver of the food far outweighs the food itself. No, we need to love those who gives us the food. It says the body is more than raiment. Now, for some folks, they just live for what they wear. I can remember back in the 1960s, and I know it doesn't look like I could be that old, but I remember back in the 1960s. By the way, aren't you glad that you have such a handsome pastor to be on your television set? Just imagine if, if that wasn't the case. It'd be hard to watch me for very long. And, uh, but uh, I know, uh, no, no vomiting now, okay. But anyway, uh, I remember back in the 1960s, I, uh, I saw these uh, white Converse 
uh, high-top tennis shoes. And then when I saw those, I thought, those are the most unbelievable. We, you know, we that was the age we invented the word cool. And, I mean, they were super cool, we would say now. I mean, it's so cool. High-top white Converse. Now, today, I see still, if you wear them, they don't wear white ones. They have these black ones, ugly. But uh, back then, all white. And I knew it was cool because David Watson wore them. And if David Watson wore them, they were cool. He was Mr. Cool. And uh, so, but I didn't, we didn't have a lot back then. So I kept hoping for white high top Converse tennis shoes, but they were just way too expensive. I don't know what, how much they cost, but they were way too much for us. And so I thought, finally, my mom, I think it was, found some at a thrift store, brought them home. And I, I saw, I couldn't believe my eyes. Oh, I was so happy. I wore those things and I was happy. I was so happy for about a week. And then I started looking at them thinking, these are kind of worn. I really need new Converse high top <laughs> And folks, the crazy cycle began. And then I need special jeans to go with those. You can't just have any jeans. You had to have the big bell bottom. I mean, you had to have those kind. So folks, it is a crazy cycle. The fact is, folks, God made us more than just being a clothing rack or some kind of eating machine. God said, look, come on, have a, big, a bigger f- focus than just food and clothing. Now, obviously, God tells us, be wise with your money, you know, be frugal. Uh, he's not telling us to just, you know, spend indiscriminately, and, uh, but uh, be extravagant. He's saying, no, I want you to be wise, but don't worry about where your next meal is coming from. I got that. Don't worry about what you're gonna, uh, how you're going to clothe your family. I, I got you on that. 100% guarantee. I'm your loving Father, and if you should be called upon to give everything, promise you, I will take care of you. I've got your, I've got your eternal life taken care of. I've regenerated you. I've put you into my eternal family. Then I'm sure I can take care of your food and your clothing. He said, be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. One of my heroes of the faith is Dr. John R. Rice. He is with the Lord, been so for many years. He was one of the greatest uh, nationwide evangelists back uh, in the mid-1900s, an amazing man of God, brilliant, great preacher, and straightforward Bible man of God. Boy, what a, if you can get a book or an old sermon to listen to it, it's incredible. Dr. John R. Rice, at the beginning of his ministry, which was back in the 1920s, not a, a good time to start a ministry, he looked to God and he famously said these words. He said, God, I'll take care of your work. You take care of mine. God, I'll take care of your business. You take care of mine. Lord, I'll put my, I'll take care of your family. You take care of mine. And he purposed to just live for God and never put a, a price tag on his ministry or on what he did. And the fact is, folks, really, that's all of our prayer. That's not just a a pastor's prayer. God, I'll take care of your work. You take care of mine. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of fear is because a lot of times we're just living long and strong and we just have this sense that, you know, we don't want to ever go without. I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament the book of Haggai, about a couple of 
books back from uh, Matthew there, almost to the end of the uh, Old Testament. But you can, you can uh, be sure that Haggai and any other prophet, he's going to put it straight for us. And in tough times, prophets always have a way of kind of resetting things for us. And he put a, a God spin on the situation they were in. Let me give you the background. The people of God had been taken away to captivity because of their sin, and uh, they were under God's divine discipline. They get uh, to come out of that after 70 years. They come back to their homeland. It's a glorious coming back, kind of like Israel did in 1948, back to their homeland. It was glorious, only this was a spiritual comeback. It was just incredible. When they came back, they were so full of excitement and zeal, and they laid the foundation for a temple. First things first, let's build a house for God. And then the Persian government uh, didn't like that, so they uh, put the clamp on them. They had to stop building. And then that kind of evaporated, but the people didn't come back to building. In fact, they had all kinds of excuses and started building their own houses. So the prophet, Haggai, man of God, by this point, and it seems like probably he was with them before they went to captivity, so he's an older guy. I mean, he, he might be in his 90s. Here he is, this old prophet of God. Can you see him? Probably has a white beard, probably looks about like me. And he's standing up there and he's saying, now listen to me. You listen up. Let's go to verse 6. You have sown much, Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but there's none warm. And you earn wages, but he that earns wages puts them into a bag with holes. He said, I want you to ask yourself a question. Straightforward preaching. Why don't you have enough food? Why don't you have clothes for your family? Why aren't things going? Why does it seem well for you? Why does it seem like you make all this money and it, it's just trickling out on the ground? He said, that's because you have a hole in your bag. You need to mend up that bag. Look in fa- uh, back in verse 4, he gives the situation. Because they had said, the people had said, this is not a good time for us to give to this building program. It's not a good time for us to serve God. It's not a good time to give the tithes and offerings to the kingdom. It's just, this is a bad time. Come another time, we'll, we'll deal with it. And so he rhetorically asks them, verse number four, is it time for you then to build your sealed houses and this house lie waste? He said, what kind of rationalization is this? I mean, you, for somehow you have enough money to build your houses, but you don't have enough money for God. He said, you need to get this thing back in priority. Precedence, verse 9, for you looked much, and lo, it came to little. And when you b- brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because mine house is waste, and you run every man to his own house. He said, I just blew on all of your stuff you had, and it's gone. Now, friends, people are wondering right now, why? Oh, everything's going down, and, you know, what I had 30 days ago is evaporated. Just like that. God blew on it. Would you be happy if you lost it all? I wouldn't. But you know what? Even if I did, I'll tell you one thing. I got God. And I know you do too. 
You've got Jesus. And that's what the prophet is saying here. He's saying, folks, in a moment, God could blow and it's gone. That's why how silly it is to put all of our faith in our houses and our jobs and our amount of food we have in our in our house, in our cars, in our wages, he said, that's crazy. What's the answer? He said, here's the answer. Verse 8, go to the mountain. That's not an easy thing to go up a mountain. I, I used to be able to walk up them pretty good, but uh, I'll tell you one thing, walking up down those mountains, that's some brutal stuff. And bring wood, go get some wood. That was not easy. And build the house. Well, if it's convenient, I'll go to church. If it's convenient, I'll give. If it's convenient, I'll serve God. If it's, everything's easy, I'll do it. No, God said, look, and I will take pleasure in your sacrifices and I'll be glorified. Change your priorities and you'll be surprised how the fear will just melt away. Get your priorities on God. Get it off of this life. Get it on eternal life. And he said, all of a sudden your fear goes. But if all of your focus is on the stuff now, then of course when stuff starts getting blown away and shaken, it's rough. A couple of years ago, I read about a Navy jet fighter. This plane was over the uh, deserts of Nevada, and it was testing a new cannon mounted on its wing. The plane was flying at supersonic speeds, but the cannon shells that it was uh, testing were subsonic. And so this plane actually was damaged because it ran in <laughs> to the very shells that it fired. You know, the fact is that jet was traveling too fast and it uh, ran into the things that it did with its own life. That's us too. We often uh, do things and do this and do that and run into the very things that we were so busy about. No time to go to church. And so God says, all right, no church. Funny how that is, isn't it? I've heard people say, boy, if I had, I just don't, I'm so busy, I don't have time to read my Bible. Well, guess what? You got time now. You're sheltering in place. I guess we'll find out how much Bible reading goes on. So I'm going to ask you in a few weeks here, how much of the Bible did you read? And don't, don't tell me you didn't have time. Now that's not going to fly. You're sheltering, but God doesn't want you wiltering. He wants you to, is that a word? He wants you to, he wants you to get busy serving God. Go to the mountain, he said, and cut down some wood for me and build my house. Fear is based on not grasping the precedence or the priorities of God. Number two, fear is based on not grasping God's presence. I've got my alliteration going here. Verse 24, let's read it together out loud. Ready? Begin. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? God says, look, my care is not just for humans. I care about the animals. I care about your dog and your cat. I care about your livestock. He said, I care about those fish in the ocean. I care about those little bugs that go around. I care about every living thing. But he specifically picks ravens. 
crows, old crows, big old crows. I think he picks that because uh, nobody really likes ravens. I don't, I don't know of anybody that says, oh, aren't those ravens beautiful? I love those ravens. No, they make a funny noise. They're big, they're ugly, they're nasty birds, and yet God loves ravens. In fact, He loves them so much, He feeds them. From the moment they're born until the moment they die, God specifically has a name for every raven. Here's John Raven, here's Henry Raven, here's Susie Raven. He loves every specific raven. He loves the sparrows. He loves these animals. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't really like uh, crows. I, I just don't. Um, now, I have ama- an amazing story from my childhood. I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or so. We lived in Visalia, California, and uh, we lived in a little uh, house over there on the, I think it was the east side of Visalia, and my dad was pastor there at the Calvary Baptist Church. And uh, every morning, or nearly every morning, uh, we had a, a raven that would come to the kitchen window, and he would peck on the window, and they would open the window, and they'd put out some breadcrumbs for him, and that guy, he would eat those up, and I mean, he was like our pet bird, and, but boy, I'll tell you one, he was a scary looking dude, and, uh, but he was our pet raven, and it uh, wasn't too long ago, I was over in Monterey, and I was golfing, and... Um, a man uh, told me, he said, uh, he said, you better be careful. He said, these seagulls, they're, they're, they're crazy. They'll eat your food. And so I was in a golf cart, and I, I said, okay. So I stuck my peanut M&Ms, I stuck them way, way, I mean, way back inside the little dashboard there and put some stuff over it so I said, you know, they won't touch. I mean, I went up to putt, and I came back to, ha- I, and I was, it was such a cold day, I was looking forward to having some coffee and that uh, peanut M&M's, and I thought, where in the world those things go? And I looked over there, and a stinking seagull had my peanut M&M's, and he was grinning from ear to ear, just like that. So I went over there, and I beat him to death with my putter. And uh, no, I didn't do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I would never do such a thing like that, ever. And no, I didn't. I really. But uh, I'll tell you one thing, I was not happy with that seagull. Not at all. And so, now, but God loves that seagull. In fact, God was the one who gave that seagull those peanut M&M's. <laughs> oh, go, go figure. I bought them. And by the way, on a golf course, uh, they're like $5 for those things. And uh, God fed that stinking old uh, seagull there. But you know what? God loves those birds. And uh, you got to understand, Jesus is talking to people. He said, look at those crows over there. Oh, they'll look over there. Hey, look over there. Crows. In fact, I've been told that Israel is just this amazing bird sanctuary because it's kind of in the center of all this area and it's kind of a place where birds go north to south. I mean, I guess there's just millions, billions of birds there. So, and of course, if you plow a field, they love, you know, fresh little worms there. And so uh, he said, look at those ravens out there. And they look over there. They're cawing and, you know, uh, scratching around. He said, did you know that God, Father God cares about each one of those birds. It's an interesting thing in Scripture. God, this is not the only time God talks about crows. In fact, back in Job chapter 38 and verse 41, it says, uh, Who provided the raven his food? Well, the rhetorical 
answer is God. God was giving Job the what for here in these verses. When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of me. You and I have read that verse before, probably never even thought much about it. But here's what God's saying. He's saying, you know, uh, ravens are not really very good parents. Other birds are great parents. And some uh, birds are, have a wonderful marriage, like doves. They mate for life. They teach us uh, uh, monogamy and uh, teach us uh, all kinds of wonderful truths. But crows, not so much. They uh, teach us some things not to do. They're terrible parents. It's said that oftentimes they'll just let their babies uh, starve. They'll go off and get their food. And so that's what it says here. The young ones cry to God because they, they don't have any meat. They don't have any food. Their parents, uh, you know, don't give them any food. So what do they do? They cry out to God. That's the answer. Those little birds are just chirping away, God, 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 and God figures out a way to get them some food. That's what God is telling us to do. He's saying, look, what if you have a situation where people neglect you and forget you, when you're in a situation that's terrible, you have some terrible parents or you have terrible whatever, I want to tell you, you can, if you have God in your heart, you name, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you can cry to God and he'll be there for you. Because if God will take care of a little baby raven, he'll take care of you. Psalm 104 and verse 24, oh Lord, how manifold, the psalmist weighs in on this, how manifold are your works of creation, really? In wisdom thou hast made them all, the earth, every bit of earth is full of your riches. These all wait upon thee, and thou may give them meat in their due season. Yep. God, has, God takes care of every bird, takes care of every fish. The little old, tiny fish swims along, and a bigger fish comes along, boom, and then a bigger fish comes along, boom, and then a bigger fish comes along, boom, and then a bigger fish comes along. I mean, God just cares for each one. That's the way God does it. He has this world is built in. It's a built-in food chain so that it takes care of itself. Look at verse 24 of Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Now, I know those people live over there in Malibu, and they don't like us saying that, that, uh, you know, we're better than the birds, or, you know, we're better than the dolphins, or, but the fact is, we are, you know, like that one lady said, you know, my, you know, my poodle is a people too, you know, he needs some food, <laughs> but anyway, the fact is, we are better than the fowls, not it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the fowls. It just means that we have a, we are made in the very image, as humans, we're made in the image of God. And God said, look, if I'll take care of a chicken, I'll take care of you, you old rooster. I'll take care of you. Brother Hayden used to call me a banny rooster. He grew up in Mississippi, and I don't know what a banny rooster is, but uh, it didn't, he always laughed when he said it, so I'm sure it wasn't a good thing. But anyway, um, Look what it says in Psalm 34 and verse 10. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Here the psalmist said, you know, lions even get hungry. Not just lions who are ravenous uh, predators. They don't sit for very long. If they want something, they go get it. They're not like a slug or something that can't go out and capture its food. 
These are lions. I mean, they got, they're powerful. If they want something to eat, they'll go get something to eat. We're not talking about just lions, but young lions. Nothing is more powerful, nothing more aggressive than a young lion. And yet it's possible that even a young lion would suffer hunger. And yet God's people who are not aggressive, God's people who are lambs, God's people who are precious saints of God don't have to suffer because God feeds them. Now, He's not saying these uh, animals are uh, lazy. They don't do any work. They, when they're, they try, they try to gather and God feeds them. But the point is that God always takes care of us. In fact, uh, notice that verse. It says, they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. That means God will either, t- either take care of us or we'll change our wanter so that we don't want. So that somehow He gives us grace to get over it. Either way, I'm satisfied. Either way, I get peace. Either way, the fear is gone. My friend, fear rises from at least six critical uh, uh, certainties about the knowledge and the nature of God. Number one, fear is based on not grasping God's precedence. You and I, as God's child, are here to have a divine priority. My priority, seek God. My priority, do His work. My priority, get busy in the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you the church of God is, is, is on fire. It is going like never before. I'm thankful for the promise. I will build my church. The church is alive and well. And so my plan is to keep serving Him. We may have to not be able to have services together for a few weeks here. I don't know what the, the future holds, but As soon as we can, we'll be there. But I will tell you that, until then, I'm going to be obedient. My priority is going to be God. I just know that we can trust God. God will take care of us. Not only is fear based on not grasping God's precedence, but it's based on not grasping the presence of God. In every situation, God is there. There's a God factor in every part of our life. If He takes care of the animals, He will take care of us. It has been my blessed privilege to represent the home church several times around this world. It's been an absolute thrill for me to, uh, and my dear wife, to represent the Lord around the world. As in our mission tours, we've been able to go there and try to be a blessing, a good world ambassador. And uh, it's always a joy to meet uh, God's people all around the world. But while it's a joy uh, and it's always fun sampling new food, I will tell you, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable traveling. It's not comfortable being there. And uh, for some reason, just about every foreign country we go to, other than just a few of them, they have this unique air. It's just not easy to go there and to, and to just sense that. It's, just, it's, it's not my native air. I was thinking about what E. Stanley Jones said is, I was thinking about that as I read this statement. He said, you know, for a believer, fear is not our native land. Faith is. We, as God's people, are to breathe faith. It's, our, it's the, what we're used to. And when we're breathing in fear, it's like being in a foreign country. That's why we don't feel comfortable. But for God's people, you feel best when you breathe faith, when you think thoughts of faith, when you 
when you have faith in your life. You know, studies show that fear and worry and stress, it just is terrible on our sicknesses, in our body. Many people today are going to get sick, not just from a sickness, but because they're afraid they're going to get sick. The best thing that we can do for our families, the best thing that we can do for our lives is to just realize what a loving God we have. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and we're going to sing that chorus. God is a God of love. And I think about that love. And by the way, I want to say thank you for the beautiful music here today. It's been a glorious time as we've met here together. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Oh, Lord.